Have you ever worked in a team where you felt like you couldn't speak up about anything, even if it was vitally important? And do you wish sometimes people could be a little bit less defensive and a little bit more helpful? You could be working in a team with low psychological safety. In this episode, I'm joined by Scott Chambers, team coach and trainer and specialist in psychological safety in the workplace. We chat about the dire consequences that a lack of psychological safety can have in an organisation, from stress and unhappiness through to life-threatening mistakes. We think about how our own reactions and defensiveness can be a major cause of the problem and how you can increase the psychological safety in your own team, even if you're not the leader. So listen if you want to find out why high psychological safety is such a huge factor in determining the performance of your team how to change your own behaviours to really make a difference and three simple things that leaders and individuals can do in their teams that will change the whole team dynamic for good. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, life hacks for doctors and busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, turned coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience and I'm interested in how we can wake up and be excited about going to work no matter what. I've had 20 years experience of working in the NHS, both on the front line and teaching leadership and resilience. I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed, worried about making a mistake and one crisis away from not coping. 2021 promises to be a particularly challenging year. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been compared to frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, working harder and longer. And the heat has been turned up so slowly that we hardly notice the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to the low-grade feelings of stress and exhaustion. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave but you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in you have many more options than you think you do it is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances Through training as an executive and team coach, I discovered some hugely helpful resilience and productivity tools that transformed the way I approached my work. I've been teaching these principles over the last few years as the Shapes Toolkit programme, because if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to thrive, not just survive in our work and our lives and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. 
So it's really great to have with me on the podcast today, Scott Chambers. Now, Scott is a team coach and facilitator. He's a specialist in psychological safety, and he really enjoys helping teams work better together. So welcome, Scott. It's brilliant to have you with us. Thank you very much, Rachel. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, well, so am I, because this subject of psychological safety is is one I've been thinking about a lot. And it seems that you can't go anywhere without reading or hearing about psychological safety these days. Yeah, it's certainly become management speak. So increasingly, when we talk to people about it, they already know the term. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't actually understand what it means. So there's a, there's a lot of kind of what call amateur psychologists that are, are using the term to describe a range of things. But yes, the great news is that people are now starting to take this seriously. Yeah. And I wanted to get you on the podcast because we'd had a conversation about psychological safety. And, you know, for a long time with work, my work with teams and things like that, I've just noticed that that is the thing that that is missing. And we've noticed that it's missing throughout the NHS. It's missing in other organisations, particularly where there's sort of high stress jobs and, you know, people are under a lot of pressure. But it's so crucial for performance and strikes me as it's something that's quite enigmatic, quite quite difficult to get hold of and quite difficult to build for a team. So I thought when I heard you talking about it, I thought, right, I need to get Scott on the podcast because <laughs> it, there's no easy answer, but it'd be really nice if there was, was some things we could start to take away and start to do already that are going to make our lives better at work. So let's start. Let's start with the definition. What do we mean when we talk about psychological safety? Well, actually, it, it, it's a the start point, and, and Amy Edmondson, I will refer to her a few times, so I might as well get that out of the way now. <laughs> so, so <laughs> so Amy, Amy Edmondson, a, yeah, tell us who she is. She's the, the author of, I guess, the definitive book in this domain, The Fearless Organisation. She's the Novartis Professor of Psychology, boom, boom, thank you very much, at Harvard University. And she, de- she des- defines it as that no one will be, there'll be no detrimental uh, impact for anybody speaking up either with ideas and questions, but also potentially with criticisms and observations about what not, what's not working well. So it is this idea of everybody's voice can be heard. And in speaking up, I am not in any way kind of hampered or disadvantaged. And we all know how sometimes it doesn't feel like that in some teams. Maybe our voice isn't heard because there's too many other voices in the room, too many, too much noise. Maybe there's a strong personality. Maybe if I take it personally, if you say, well, I'm sorry, Scott, I'm not sure that that project's on time or going to, you know, I might start to defend it just from a personality point of view. So there's lots of things that, that if you like, without any necessarily malevolent intent, I can get in the way of psychological safety. Mm. And why is it so important? You know, it's a $6 million question, uh, yeah. literally. So there's, there's lots of reasons why it's really important. I guess let me start with, with the avoidance of error. So the problem when people don't speak up is they can see something going wrong. They can see a mistake being made or a process not perhaps delivering appropriately for, for the p- people it's intended to. And you know, so the person closest to the work sees what's going wrong, but you know, has lost that confidence or that belief that what they, you know, their observations will be taken seriously or even heard. So they stop saying anything. So the situation perpetuates. So you know, mistakes are made. Mistakes are made frequently. Processes aren't improved. And the organization and the team and the people in that, that situation simply don't learn. So we get, you get the, the, a fixed state, which isn't improving. 
So that's probably the most important. And that goes right back to Amy's research, which was in the health service in the US, where she tripped over a fascinating uh, statistic. So she was looking at health outcomes and looking at the behaviors in teams that were, were delivering very high health outcomes. And obviously, she was expecting a certain set of behaviors to correlate to great outcomes. But there was one anomalous result, and that was that the teams that had the best outcomes in terms of recovery rates and, and speed, of, um, speed of recovery and, and frequency of recovery were reporting more errors. And it kind of seemed, you know, how did that be right? How can the successful teams make more errors? You know, so she actually went around the research a second time because she didn't believe the results and the same result came up. And then she had what she described as the blinding flash of, it, of, of obviousness that actually it's not that they're making more mistakes, it's that they're reporting more mistakes and therefore learning from those mistakes. They're in the public domain in terms of the team, and therefore they're able to, to deal with them, face into them, make the correct, take the corrective action. So that's probably what fundamentally why it's so important for teams and, and, and any organization or group or community to create that atmosphere where, where all voices can be heard. I think that's really important, isn't it? It's not just, you know, in reporting errors, because actually reporting an error, that's sort of like the dynamite of social, psychological safety. You know, actually, if I yeah. can go and say, guys, I've cocked up, I've done this, or whatever, and report my error. But you, you need to be able to take a few steps back and actually start off with, this is how I'm feeling today, and, you're, and I'm, I'm not going to be judged, and I'm a yeah. bit upset by this. You know, let's forget yeah. error. Let's just start even with vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, well, just how you feel, you know. So, so that's again the journey. So, I've I've been working in this area for for just about two years now. I've probably been working in this area for much longer, but mm-hmm. not not called psychological safety. But the, yeah, the 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 thing I've learned more recently is that that psychological safety is a felt experience. We we humans intuitively know, yeah, when it's safe and when it's not safe. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. If I don't feel safe. I, I, and I guess I'd perhaps focus on the on the error side. But the other thing is, not, neither will I speak up with ideas, with creativity, with volu- you know, volunteering my initiative, even if it's only half thought through. But I think there's something here that might be useful for us as a team or a group to work on. But, you know, it's that horrible moment when you're in a team meeting and someone says, so any questions? <laughs> no, right, let's move on. That means people aren't, you know, you're not hearing the voices. Yeah, there will be ideas, there will be questions. So it, that's, a, that's a little clue to maybe something's not quite right. Yeah, and, and what, what sort of teams have you seen where psychological safety is really low? What, you know, what behaviours are oh. you seeing? What's it like to work in one of those teams? Ah, uh, gosh, it's... Um, Gosh, that's a that's a big question. So let me. Um, uh, there's, uh, yeah, lucky me, I've had to. I've been able yes. to work with a number of. <laughs> a bit of experience <laughs> in this, I can imagine. Teams, yeah, fortunately, and, and and I guess as you would imagine, every every situation is slightly unique. Perhaps if I think of a one situation which surprised me, I, I went in expecting the team to be really psychologically safe. Four PhDs working in a charity, you know, doing some absolutely amazing, fantastic work. But they were they were part of the team that the, the rest of the organization depended on. And the rest of the organization 
didn't feel they were getting what they needed. So I ended up having a, a conversation and being able to, to we, we have an instrument, Amy's developed an instrument called the Organizational Scan, which allows you to measure levels of psychological safety. And they were way, way down in the, in the lowest quartile of scores. And yet, you know, they were, as I say, PhD, they were intelligent people. They were completely committed to the objectives of the charity. They really wanted to be successful and actually were being successful in their own domains. What, what had got lost what have got lost is the value of this team. So they were so committed to the overall goal that they were missing the value of this team and the collaboration and the idea sharing and the accessing of different expertise in order to deliver that. And in fact, all they felt, use that word deliberately, was the lack of response or the unavailability or the or the incapacity of that person to, to respond in the time frame they needed meant that was slowing them down. So they just basically started to ignore each other. So it's not necessarily toxic behavior. It was ignoring. There are plenty of toxic behaviors. Actually, Amy uses this lovely expression. I happen to be a hobby sailor, and she obviously is as well. So they're tacking upwind against human nature. <laughs> <laughs> so for the non-sailors listening, so when you're, if you sail and you want to sail in the direction that the wind's coming from, that's tacking, that's going upwind. And the way you do it is by tacking frequently. You, you sort of get the wind in the sail that side and then go to that side, think of it. But it's quite a tough sail. It's quite difficult. And so you have to be paying attention. So human nature, I think our own personal egos, our own personal narratives, our own desire perhaps to be heard means that we don't always listen. Yeah? We don't always welcome an opposing opinion, which may be equally valid. Yeah. So, so our human nature, our, 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 our tendency to want to be clever, not want to be ignorant, not want to be to, to show up as, as incompetent and therefore admit to mistakes or anything, means that we tend to defend ourselves. And then the, the capacity for the system, the team, to hear the bad news or to deal with the, the, the difficulties or the, the absence of, uh, of, of knowing what to do becomes harder and harder. Mm. And that is really fascinating because this tendency for us to defend ourselves, it's so inbuilt, isn't it? I mean, I know that if someone gives me any, someone gave me a little bit of feedback about one of the podcast episodes the other day, it was very well intentioned. And I was like, and actually it was really helpful. (laughs) My immediate response was, how dare you criticize something I've created? (laughs) Ridiculous. Yes. So this, that is, it is human nature. You're right. It's so, absolutely human nature. Yeah. So how do you get to a position where actually no one minds being criticised? How do you get to that situation? That's really difficult, I would think. It, it, yes, I think, well, difficult if not impossible. How, however, <laughs> you can help create a, 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 the space for people to acknowledge that instinctive reaction and indeed help people kind of get beyond it yeah. mm. so so the key the absolute key to this is the assumption of positive intent yes and yeah. so so what so what you just said you know it, it, they gave you the feedback and it was well intended it, it's your capacity to see that good intention mm. <laughs> that allows you to to step aside from the personal kind of the yes. knee jerk the the, the 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 reflex reaction so if I don't believe it's positive intent, then I have absolutely no reason not to attack them, defend myself, to do whatever. If I can just if I intellectually separate myself and say, actually, that person's not meaning to upset me. They're meaning to give me helpful insight. 
Let mm. me see if I can understand that. Let me inquire into that and, and, and seek, seek to learn it. So that that at the heart of it is the assumption of positive intent. Mm. Yeah. And just thinking about it, you know, I can take criticism. I've been, <laughs> I've been learning to ice skate recently, which I've talked about before, and I'm really bad at it. And I really want that. It, well, I'm not doing it at the moment because we're in lockdown, but I really want the teachers to come to me and say, Rachel, the reason you can't skate backwards and turn around on one foot is because your weight's in the wrong place and you're not doing that. And, and I've been told that, and that is really helpful. And I'm really pleased. So how come when it comes to something in my professional life, you know, we can take feedback about skills and things like that, haven't we? Like, you know, I did it this way. Don't do it that way. Do it that way. Oh, yeah, that works better. But when it's actually, yeah, it, it becomes more personal and, and we find it very difficult to maybe assume good intent from people. Is that just a yeah. natural thing or, or was that a learned behaviour? I think it's it's a natural defensive thing. I, so you, you, you could disappear into the tri- the amygdala triggering yes, and the, the, yes, the, the yes, historical yes. triggering of your defence reflexes mm-hmm. because actually physically it was quite important that you had lots of adrenaline and lots mm-hmm. of uh, capacity to respond to a physical threat. When it's a cognitive, you know, emotional threat, all of that is is just wasted energy and yeah. and counterproductive because it, you know, the amygdala is shutting down your prefrontal cortex. You're not getting the oxygen you need there, so you're not actually being able to get that distance. So so it is doable. It does take a bit of practice. One of my close partners, he works a lot in the in the realm of mindfulness and working to help people get into that slightly different mind state. So that when they then enter a system, they're coming from the right you know, the right mental state in order to have that conversation. But in, in lots of business and high pressure situations, obviously it's hard to get back there. So you know, the trick that what I often work with teams on is just you know, if you're you know, quite often that that tension and kind of high energy comes between one or two people, and the rest of the team are kind of almost backing away from the table <laughs> when we used to sit at tables. But actually, that's their opportunity to perhaps just take a time out, mm-hmm. just perhaps play back what they're seeing. So I can see Rachel that you think it should be blue, Scott. You seem to be totally locked in, and it should be red. What does anybody else think? Yeah, and that defuses the situation. That gives Scott and Rachel time to regroup, hopefully listen to a few other ideas and get out of the sword fight, you know, mm. the, the, the intellectual and conversational sword fight that we get ourselves hooked into. And no matter how brilliant my arguments are for red, you will have equally brilliant arguments for blue. So we're never going to agree. It needs the, the bigger group to start to intervene and, and help move the conversation forward. Yes, and it needs there not to be any sort of hierarchical imbalance where... I win yeah. just because I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See these, these, these are stripes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See those. Uh, that means that red is red is important. Yeah. And I'm thinking that obviously history will make a difference as well. So if you know, if you've got, a, okay. if we'd only just met and I went red and you went blue, we'd go well. Let's talk it out. But actually, if there'd been a history of of you telling me the wrong thing or trying to <laughs> yeah, yeah. usurp trying to my authority or bully, yeah, yeah, then you're yeah. going to dig in a bit more, perhaps, or give in yeah, a bit more. I don't yeah. know. Well, yes, yeah. As, as you say, you kind of you've got you, you've got fight or flight, haven't you? Either just yeah. roll over, and therefore the argument's never heard, and therefore the better decision is not made, or you just yeah, we, you and I are locked into a you know a fighting partnership. And and to your earlier question about toxic behaviours. That is something that happens. Teams get mm-hmm. locked in over time into patterns of behavior. They've kind of got the, the it's like a dance routine, you know. So we know, and, and I've actually worked with a team and I, 
it's, in retrospect, it's funny. At the time, I wasn't happy, but I was asked to go and work with a team in an in a electronic organization. And I was really pleased. It was a new client for me, somebody I'd been, been talking to for a while, but we hadn't done any work. He said, Scott, I want you there. We've got this real problem with this team. They seem to, you know, they seem to be unable to make decisions. And it's it, two people in particular seem to be completely locked in. I said, oh, that's great. Thank you very much. Appreciate the, the, the opportunity to work with you, Simon. You know, what made you think you know, I was right for this? He said, well, actually, you're the third person I've asked. They've killed the first two. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is like the team coaching gig that nobody wants. <laughs> they chewed up and spat out two consultants already. <laughs> but 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 helping them see how their behaviour was was just a trapped pattern by by literally observing the patterns of behaviour and feeding it back to them and saying, look, this is what's going on. This is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. Yeah. Everybody else. You know, anybody else get involved in this? How do we get people? You know, how, how can we change this pattern? And it literally, once they were aware. They were able to make different sets of decisions, and again, the positive intent was there. They both wanted the best for the for the organisation, but they just, as you say, they got so much baggage in this head banging relationship that they were unable to step out of it. But with just a little insight, a little holding the mirror up, letting them see themselves, they were able to, to move forward really quickly and and you know, independently. They didn't need any training or you know, counselling or anything. They they just got it and they moved forward. Yes. So it is all about what you think the other person's intent is towards you or what you think they think your intent is. And I, that oh. it got a bit, so I was reading this book last night, The Fearless Organization, and she talks about the difference between trust and psychological safety, which I thought was really interesting. So now I might get this wrong, Scott, tell me. So trust is when you assume that they have good intent towards you. So, you know, I trust you because I, I trust you, Scott, that I assume that you want to come on the podcast and talk to me about this without any ulterior motives and et cetera. I trust that you'll do a good job. Brilliant. But psychological safety where is when I am happy that you assume that I have good intent towards you. I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz definitely yeah so 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 so, so the distinction which amy which again i was i was intrigued to learn is, is she's quite quite black and white about it so trust exists between two entities so between me and you, or you and me, right. or me and I'm Colgate because it's a great toothpaste, or you know I trust that brand, but it's a, it's an individual relationship. Right. Psychological safety is a systemic okay. relationship. So it's we trust this system. So I might trust you if you're my boss. I might trust you, and in a one to one, I might be very open and very vulnerable and speak up and know that you'll take it seriously. When I walk into the room or 
sorry, join the Zoom. <laughs> I, yeah. I join the Zoom with all my colleagues. Suddenly, I'm not sure what's going on here. You know, why, why is that person saying that? Where are they coming from? Oh, they've got an agenda. They're trying to get resources, budget, time, whatever it is that the manager's intention or impress the manager with their great performance. They're, they're, they're bigging up their performance. So it's, it's the systemic piece. And as, a, as you kindly introduced me, I've, I've been coaching teams for about 10 years. And the most frustrating thing about this, the, the process that I've experienced, is I, I typically will do one-to-ones with all the team members just to get individual perspectives on the team dynamic. And by the end of that, I've got a pretty good picture of what the tension points are and how the relationships stand and that, mm. what gets in the way of them being really high-performing. I then go into a team session with them and I say, so I think there's an issue around this. And they're like, oh, I don't know what makes you that. So, yeah, yeah, no, we're all fine. Who said that? That's not me. <laughs> and it disappears. So, so the beauty of, of, of working with psychological safety and, and indeed the, the organisational scan that Amy's created uh, uh, is that you can, you, I, so far, and I'm, where's the wood? And I'll, I'll touch wood. You can't see it. Trust me, I'm touching wood. Every time I've been able to facilitate a team using this, it, it surfaced the right issues. So the elephant is boldly painted in the room and we can deal with it. And actually, just like my story earlier about those two antagonistic leaders, once the the elephant's in the room, the team is very capable of sorting it out Mm. between them. Until it is, it never gets addressed. Mm. It it, it just festers, it just gets in the way and kind of creates resentment. Yeah, People will talk about it as they walk out of the meeting with each other. So you and I... God, that thing that John said in the meeting, that was a load of rubbish, wasn't it, Rachel? <laughs> but we won't, yeah, in the meeting, we'll just let John rabbit on and say what he wants to say and just leave it. Yeah. So there's that speaking up again. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, I mean, what can you do about it? If, if you're working in a team where there isn't psychological safety, maybe because of the actions of one bully who's there or, you know, or several bullies that are there or, and it doesn't need to have, even need to be bullies, does it? Because I've certainly worked with teams where people have been so passively aggressive by just not doing anything, not being accountable, not turning up to stuff. And no, but yeah. everyone's so nice, no one will say anything to them. Yes. You just feel completely stuck. You know, can, can you solve this without a team coach? Of course not. In fact, you, <laughs> you really need team coaches. Can we just be clear? <laughs> I did say you trusted me not to use it. Here's my sign. <laughs> That's all I meant there. Yeah, touche. (laughs) The answer is, yeah, so so yes and. So so you need need to to catalyse the conversation. And that's what an external third party, what AT&T used to call an alien, you know, someone who's not part of the system, just has that capacity to, to, to see the system and hold the mirror up to allow people to see for themselves. So, so that's a critical part of, of starting the change process. Mm-hmm. Then the job of the facilitator or the team coach is, is to al- allow the conversation to happen. And that's where your scenario where you may have one or two bullies or people who, let's not even bully, but dominate the conversation mm-hmm. and are full of all their opinions. That's where the facilitator can help moderate the, the share mm-hmm. of voice, can draw people in who perhaps naturally aren't speaking up, can, can help kind of get the orchestra playing in harmony rather than you know one 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 part of the orchestra dominating the, the wind instruments are dominating it's not a bad metaphor i might use that so so that's the but 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 i yeah i really keen to put yeah that this 
that you know, it, this is something that you can you can touch in on and you can do a bit of, and then the team with the positive intent, with the desire to deal with it, can can genuinely move quite a long way under its own steam. It is it's it's unlocking it to allow the change to start, which is the key, and then supporting the change, perhaps in its nurturing it when it's still young and it's still a little fragile and we're not sure. We think we can now speak up, but we're not sure. But quickly our role as team coaches is to encourage them to to, to do it themselves. You know, there's no one way to be a team. You know, mm-hmm. Each team has to find its own way. But there are some things that if you don't do or you do wrong are going to stop any team being effective. Yeah. What if you, you've got a situation right now when you can identify, right, actually our team is, is not working. There's not a lot of psychological safety. We haven't got time to get in a cage. What, what could someone do straight away to start to help things? There's a whole bunch of signature practices. The, the, the shorthand to it all is, is for the leader to shut up and encourage other people to speak up. So I guess the the the, yeah, the the answer to your question somewhat varies depending if I'm the leader of the team. If if you're the leader of a team and you think this isn't kind of working in the way I'd like it to, you know, I, everybody's maybe everyone's just being a yes man, or maybe I'm not getting the ideas, or maybe I'm feeling nobody's taking any initiative or ownership. Uh, the temptation is to kind of step in and demand all of those things. The trick is to step back and invite those things. So to kind of create the space. And, and again, there's lots of different ways of structuring that. But, but fundamentally, you know, your job is to ask good questions and really listen. You know, not, not, so has anyone got uh, any points to make? No, right, then we'll go with my plan. You know, that's not listening. It's like, you know, I've given you an idea about how we might progress. But before we go any further with that, I want to hear from everyone, everyone, what their thoughts and ideas are, if there's better ideas or any ideas about how to improve what's on the table. And genuinely, genuinely, genuinely listen. And this is the hard bit for most leaders. (laughs) And acknowledge, welcome, even stupid ideas. Hmm. Because you're you're acknowledging and welcoming the idea generation rather than the content of the idea. Because if, if you do that, people will start to come up with better ideas. If you don't do that, then you shut down that process immediately yeah. and you, you don't get anything. Yeah. So so if you're the leader, that's that's the, the, the trick. Ask you know, frame the, the objective. What are we trying to achieve? What's the goal? What's the work we're trying to achieve? And then ask good questions and really, really listen to the answer. You know, a good way if you don't, are you not good at listening is try and summarize back. So what you're saying, Rachel, is, yeah, because you have to listen to be able to summarize. And so here's a free giveaway tip that, you know, really effective teams, somebody, not always a leader, but somebody summarizes every 11 to 12 minutes. Okay. That's interesting. So where are we at? Okay. This is where we are. These are all the things. I think that's the idea generation thing. Yeah, there's all sorts of things you can do, isn't there? Like, you know, actually turn, just turn taking so that everyone can speak up and keep going around until you you haven't got anything else to say. And I was reading something recently about, you know, creativity. Actually, the best ideas often come last, don't they? They don't come first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so one of the techniques that, that we work with, which again, I'll credit Nancy Klein rather than uh, myself or my colleagues with is to, to ask that open question, deliberately turn take and give everybody three minutes. Yeah. Have a little timer going on your phone or watch or whatever works for you. And quite often you'll find people stop after two or two and a half or, and then so, is there anything else you'd like to say on that topic? 
and as you say, that's where you know, that last bit when they've kind of stopped talking because that's all the reflex stuff. You get you start to access the deeper thinking, uh, and as you say, that's where 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 there's some really really lovely new novelty, creativity, innovation comes from. But we haven't got time for that. You know, we've only got twenty minutes for this meeting. We've got to make a decision. So, what it? so time oh. is the biggest obstacle. Yeah, yeah. So, so often, yeah, so much, and it all got to be process based. And you know, so many, particularly in healthcare, the meetings. You know, you've got an agenda as long as your arm. You've got ten minutes. People are late for visits anyway. And oh gosh, it's yeah. just you know, really, really difficult. But I, I am interested in in what you can do as an individual if you're not a leader. If you're working in a team, I'm just thinking. Off the top of my head, busy any department, your team changes all the time, right? You've probably yeah. got a hundred different people work in your department. You, you you have different members of the team. There's maybe one or two people who are behaving in, in ways that maybe promote a bit of a toxic culture. There might be some stuff coming down from the top, some leadership by fear, which of course never happens in the NHS, does it? What can you do as an individual to try and promote psychological safety among amongst the rest of, of your team? Well, not, so given the scenario you've just described, what I'm, the answer I'm going to give you is not a comfortable one, but, but the answer is to vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So if you remember the conversation we had about reflexive defensiveness and our wishing to present and you know, present a facade, if the, the power of vulnerability in terms of, of, of you know, what, what we all know, if, if, if one of your colleagues cries, yeah, your instinctive, your human instinctive is to care. Mm. So that's an extreme example, but a vulnerability in terms of, you know, I don't know, or I'm not comfortable, or I don't feel as if I'm being heard. Or So yeah, it's a risk, obviously, because vulnerability is always a risk. It's part of the definition of vulnerability. But by doing so, you potentially, again, role model a behavior that other people you know, yeah. So asking the naive question, how often people say, yeah, oh, yeah, no, I was wondering about that as well, or I didn't understand that. So that, that modelling vulnerability would be, be there. And again, I, it's with the health warning of, of the environments you know, the, that you're talking about. But we, again, you know, we all know that bullies are often, they are overcompensating for a vulnerability. So even the bully might, it may not, it won't happen instantly, but might start to learn that demonstrating that vulnerability rather than overcompensating uh, might start to, to to create a space where the team can genuinely collaborate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that showing that vulnerability can be really powerful because then other people start sharing. I mean, I'm even thinking back to sort of significant event meetings, actually, you know, that no one ever admits that they've done something wrong. Then you go to a significant yeah. event meeting where you're, you're discussing a mistake and then everyone starts saying, oh yeah, well, when I did this and then I did this, it sort of gets yeah. the ball. And we're not wanting to just sort of, you know, talk about mistakes because, 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 but you, you can't learn, you can't get better, can you, unless you... Yeah. Yeah. There's the, the, within the organizational scan, there's, there's four dimensions. One of them is attitude to risk and failure. And in my limited experience of, of working uh, within the NHS, uh, which I will confess to, but that is, I think we spoke about this before the podcast, um, that is one of the sort of touch, but it, it's, it is the, the only way to learn, you know, to do things better, you know, to do new things, to do, to do complex things, is to get on and do it. And the only way to learn is to to admit to what the mistakes that are going on in those early stage in that high complexity in order to address them and resolve them and not make them again. But because of the the fear of 
being you know, marked as a failure, marked down because you made a mistake, you know, potentially even career limiting. Um, you know, that kind of the the the, the, the psychological, the, the mental model of vulnerability and admitting to mistakes is really hard to sustain. Mm. So yeah, that's why I said that's why I put it with a health warning. That, that is the, it is the most powerful way to do it, but I do understand that it's not always if you haven't got the safe space in the first place, doing that is like, oh, now, now I'm, you know, I'm walking naked into the lion's den. You know, that's, who wants to do that? But it's not impossible, is it? Because you hear stories of, you know, the military or the Red Arrows, they're always debrief. You know, you're thinking a pilot, if you make a mistake, that that is a really life or death thing, just, just as in Absolutely. healthcare. But they yeah, yeah. they do very detailed debriefs, don't they? Yeah, I'm yeah. told. yeah. No, it, absolutely, and and I guess that's once you start to get this working, you that habituates, you know. So you make mm. that a habit and a practice, and I don't particularly like the the expression, you know, uh, practice makes perfect, but practice makes permanent. Yeah. So and it becomes normal. You know, we talk about our mistakes in Amy's book. She talks about failure parties, and you know, I, I won't use the the expression, but let me let me just say f up parties. You know, which which team leaders instigate for their team, and they have a laugh. You know, typically in a more relaxed environment, but they have a laugh about the fact that oh, who made the biggest mistake this month? Oh, it was me. Look, I did this, and it, you know that didn't work, and all the rest of it. And that then all that, that angst, all that uh, concern about admitting to a, a, a mistake, is just dissipated. And again, in in the in the book, there's some beautiful examples the Volkswagen I think is probably one of the most visible organizational diesel gate failures where people nobody spoke up nobody said lots of people knew what was going on but nobody mm. spoke up I worked extensively in financial services after the crash and there was this concept of courageous integrity but you know, that, you know so so you know, you you down there you need to be courageous well hang on <laughs> Yes. If you're not listening to me, then all my courage does is get me fired or you know, mm. I lose my promotion or my bonus or, or whatever. Mm. So you, know, you, you have to take it one step at a time. But but by introducing that vulnerability, you, know, you do start to change the culture and habituating that and getting people to join in. Suddenly you start to get that positive energy of learning. Mm, mm, yes, so true. There's another example in the book, isn't there, about Pixar? I don't know if in that book or somewhere else. I read that you know, after every time they, they've they've done a they've made a scene in a film, everyone sits down and, and pulls it apart, yeah. so that it can be made better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it is in uh, uh, mm. Pixar. Yeah, so you know, a, 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 I mean, for them, a creative process. It's kind of we know. I'm I'm, I'm working with a, a design team in a technology space at the moment, and it's really interesting. <laughs> so I won't name the company, but they have the two levels of design review, effectively. So they they have a, a peer level design review where they all sit down and, like Pixar, everybody criticizes and seeks to improve and uh, and is open to, to to feedback, and that's habituated and and, and works really well. It then goes to the next level meeting where the boss and the boss's boss and, and the, the stakeholders in the whole organization you know, come and look at what's been achieved. And, and the first one is very psychologically safe. We, we measured it and we can see it's very psychologically. Guess what? Next level up. <laughs> the next level isn't. Mm. So bless them. The, you know, the mission for them is to make this senior one as safe as this more junior one. And it is through that process that they'll then be able to access yeah, the benefit of the senior one is these guys and, and ladies have perspective that the people who are doing the design don't have. So it's actually useful, but it has to be done in a constructive and psychologically safe way in order to, to be received and used and improve the, the product. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we definitely see that in healthcare where you actually have quite high levels of psychological safety among certain groups, you know, maybe some certain staff members in a surgery or certain yeah. group members. And then as soon as you get to the level above, when, you, you know, everyone hunkers down, becomes very defensive. Yeah, I would just yeah. see that all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, you, it's, it's, I, I don't, I, it is often a given power rather than a take, you know, as in it, it, when you just go into that room, mm. you suddenly feel more fearful because they are more senior, just because just they are. You, you know, they, they may be thinking, you know, it's just you know, good old Fred. You know, I'm, you know, I just left my kids. I was doing a bit of school homeworking, tuition this morning. Here I am now in this meeting, and I'm just me. But because I'm the boss of you, I have all this power, you know, which I don't even realize. So it is, it is a little mind game we play with ourselves in that situation. It's up to me, not just to be me, but to, to show vulnerability, to, to, to welcome people in. So there's, there are some little things that you can do, just, just checking in at the beginning of your meetings as human beings and, again, acknowledging and welcoming people who say, actually, I'm really tired, I'm really stressed, I've got a real problem with X, you know, why isn't working? It may be personal life rather than work life. So you may think well, it's completely irrelevant to this conversation, but just, you know, just a couple of minutes check in for everyone. And we're now human being talking to human being yeah. and all that status and all those assumptions and, and kind of paradigms disappear. And we can actually talk to each other as human beings. And that's psychological safety. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think one forgets the higher up you get in an organization you forget how it feels to be lower down and so yeah. I know lots of leaders who, who don't feel the hierarchy they say well we're not there's no hierarchy we're all getting on really well it's fine and there's so they're in a meeting chatting they don't realize that the, the people under them really do feel the hierarchy and it might not be the leader's fault it just might be but but the leader just assumes that they don't need to do anything extra to break that 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 feeling whereas actually maybe just a few well-timed words or a bit of self-disclosure or something like that will just break that ice and then let people go oh no th this isn't like that it's not one of those situations yeah no no no, no beautiful really, really yeah no, you're, you're exactly right and interesting that it's, there's a distinction that i've been using with teams recently is that the difference between comfort and safety mm. and 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 i think and it shows up sometimes in the organizational scan. So the leaders are reporting high psychological safety, but they are misreading that for exactly as you described. They're comfortable. You know, they're comfortable in this situation. They understand how this works. They're, they're in charge. So there's kind of you know, no, no threat to them per se. So they're comfortable and they're not thinking about safety. They're thinking about comfort. So I'm comfortable and I don't really care you know, whether everybody else is comfortable, comfortable, comfortable or safe. What you really want is a safe but uncomfortable environment. You want everybody to be safe and uncomfortable because it's only in that discomfort do we you know, start to trigger the, the necessary thinking to move forward. If everybody's safe and comfortable, why do we bother? You know, no, no effort is required. If everybody's unsafe and uncomfortable... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we all, that's a disaster. Yeah, that may be more more regularly experienced <laughs> by a lot of people watching yeah. this. It's you know, it's, yeah. so you kind of tune up the safety, you know, because there isn't the comfort. So yeah. let's be let's be able to talk about it. Let's face into the challenges we're we're dealing with and not protect our egos and our identities and our uh, and all the rest of it, and allow ourselves to, to to learn together. Because I yeah, no matter how senior you are, I guarantee you, you don't have all the answers. <laughs> hundred percent i i love that thing about needing to be less comfortable and more safe and in lots of gp surgeries i've been working with they are 
unsafe but very comfortable and then they wonder right. why processes aren't changing and they're not getting things done and they're not having the conversations that they, that they need to have so we're, we're running out of time which is a real shame because we could talk about this for ages if you had sort of three top tips for individuals who want to increase the psychological safety in, in a team where they're working what would they be Golly. So as team member, so I think I think we'll go back to the first conversation we had about that, but that catch yourself when, when you're getting that defensive yeah. ping. Yeah. And that may be a defensive as in somebody's attacked you and you, you, you've taken it personally or not attacked you, but given some feedback and you've taken it personally. And so you feel yourself leaning in to defend that. Or it may be, I'm afraid to speak up because everybody else seems to know what's going on here. And I'm thinking, I, I don't think this is the right thing to do, but, but everybody seems to be going along with it. So how do I speak up? So I think catch yourself first. And that's the, the, then that vulnerability. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So lead with vulnerability. And, yeah. and it's just, you know, the, that's a sentence that doesn't make sense for a lot of people, but you know, lead with vulnerability. But, but we're all leaders in, in, in that, that situation. If you've got a question, if you're unclear, then you need to lead the conversation to allow that clarity mm. to be found for everybody, mm. not just for you. Yeah. And, and if it's an innocent or naive question, it'll be answered quickly and that'll be great, but at least it'll be answered. And I guess the third and, and final one is, 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 is seek positive intent. I, I avoided saying assume positive intent because that may lead you uh, into a difficult situation, but seek positive intent in those situations how can I see that in some way this person is trying to be positive, is trying to move the conversation forward, trying to achieve something for our customers, clients, um, patients? So what is there and what the, what is going on here that is has positive intent? And build on that rather than criticise what might not be so experienced so positively. Yeah. I love that thing about seeking positive intent because i think you know that that applies not just to psychological safety but also to i think everything about how to manage people in in the covid pandemic because if you know we just need to give each other extra rope you know we need to assume that people aren't trying to be annoying to <laughs> they're not cross with us they're <laughs> they're probably not even thinking about it. when we get that snappy email it's probably nothing to do with us it's probably everything to do with their own circumstances and they, they just didn't mean it and they didn't want to upset us and people aren't out mostly they're not out yeah. to cause problems for you or be vindictive whatever most yes. people <laughs> yeah 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 no no but you're right someone said to me that everybody's everybody's on shorter fuses the the, the you know every, yeah. everybody's it's all a bit more frayed at the moment and and yeah that's showing up in every aspect of our lives in every transaction and so i think yeah that's a really good insight thank you well thank you those tips are really good catch yourself getting defensive be vulnerable and and seek positive intent behind what every every whatever anybody does to us Thank you, Scott. I have to get you back at some point to talk more about teams because we, we're all working in teams and it's when we're in high stress jobs, the teams become high stress and, and that can be, it can yeah. be the, the difference between, you know, loving our work and absolutely hating our work. Yeah. You know, the team, yeah. the team that we're in, can't we? So it's so, so important. If, yeah. somebody wants no, to con if somebody wants to contact you, find out more about your work, how could they, how could they do that? The easiest is to email. So mm -hmm. Scott dot chambers yep at the number three ghr.com great do you have a website or anything like that or they can find uh, you www.3ghr.com brilliant 
brilliant jhr.com and then find out more about stuff and the book we've been talking about is called the fearless organization by amy edmondson it's it's really good there's a lot of really good stuff in there and um just encourage anybody who's who's worried about this or experiencing psychological unsafeties is that a word <laughs> lack of psychological safety <laughs> lack of social, <laughs> psychological safety in their work and we all do to some extent just to to read that and think actually what small changes can i make today where i am to make this better for for me and if you make it better for you you're probably making it better for other people so really important yeah, so absolutely. thank you so much scott and we'll speak to you soon hopefully real pleasure thanks very much indeed appreciate the invitation take care bye. Rachel. bye Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.